Good evening, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we will talk about how the Republicans may be showing some signs of life, how North Dakota and South Dakota are planning to fight back against overreaching executive orders, and how cancel culture has killed creativity. All next on Living with Liberty. It seems that the Republican Party has found some semblance of understanding of the fight it is in against the Democrats and what it will take to win it. We are seeing more and more closing of the ranks than I think we have seen in the past as state and local uh, GOP groups are censuring those politicians, those Republican senators who voted to convict Trump in the latest sham impeachment brought forth by the Democrats. Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania is the latest to receive censure by local GOP groups. For all his bluster, not even Mitch McConnell could bring himself to vote guilty in this uh, ridiculous impeachment trial. Yet there were seven Republicans who found it necessary to vote guilty. Now, three of those were not really a shock. You have Mittens Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski, who should all get primary the next time they're up for election. Toomey, who at this point is a lame duck as he has announced his retirement, may become a liability here going forward if this vote guilty is any sort of indication. Richard Burr uh, from North Carolina, who was also censured by the North Carolina uh, Republicans, voted guilty also, and is yet another lame duck who has announced his retirement. And given this, makes you wonder if he also will be a liability going forward. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, who apparently slept through every piece of Democrat rhetoric through the last four years, thought Trump was guilty. I don't understand, as he as he noted that it, Trump's speech is, is why he voted guilty. Apparently, he's he's uh, ignoring the Democrat rhetoric that we've we've seen, you know, even up to this day in the media, etc. Though I look at uh, his past, and I don't know that his vote is even that much of a surprise, perhaps. Bill Cassidy was a Democrat up until about 2001. The Louisiana Republican uh, Party censured him as well. And since he was just reelected, it'll be a while before he can be primaried, even if he chooses to run again, that is. Now, of this group, of the seven, the one who has been bantered about as potentially the future of the Republican Party, Ben Sass, probably has the most aspirations of higher office out of any one of the other six. I'd say definitely killed that chance at running for president one day, if that is, you know, an ambition of his. What these seven don't understand is that this is not about Trump. This is about the people they represent. They are our elected representatives. They are fighting for us, not against Trump. This is just as much about the Democrats doing this to Trump 
as it is to them doing it to us with cancel culture and with big tech censoring people. It, it's just not about tr- only about Trump inciting uh, or allegedly inciting, you know, so, some sort of you know, riot at the Capitol. It, it, it's not that. And these guys don't get it. This is about a zero sum political game that the Democrats are playing. And it looks like some Republicans are not by these seven who voted guilty. Some of it, I think, like Toomey and Burr, can be chalked up to a lame duck status, perhaps. They don't have to answer to voters in the future anymore. They're not running again. They can vote Trump guilty if they want without really any repercussions other than being censured by their local uh, Republican parties. They have no fear of the voters. So they're just going to continue and play their little establishment games and and show that, yeah, hey, we're still, you know, the D.C. swampers we've always been. You know, even in their case, though, even that they're lame ducks between Toomey and Burr, they still work for the people, and they still need to stand up for their constituents, whether they're lame duck status or not. Bill Cassidy was a Democrat, so who knows what went through his head. He could have just been an always never Trumper. Who knows? You know, the vote he casts though as guilty has to make you wonder if you're from Louisiana. Is he even fully invested in the conservative cause? Is he even willing to fight for the people? Is he even willing to fight for the conservatives being censored everywhere, being canceled everywhere? In whether it be mainstream media or again with in the big tech platforms. Now we know Murkowski, Collins, and Mittens are all notable fence sitters who will go whatever way the wind is blowing. And they're about as reliable as a Yugo in terms of pushing forward with you know any sort of unified conservative agenda. Now these seven senators are also oblivious to the movement that is taking place. Which I find especially curious in Mitt Romney's case, as his dad, George Romney, was on the outside looking in during the Goldwater and later on Richard Nixon movement of the mid to late 1960s. If you remember, I did a show a few weeks ago about uh, about the Goldwater movement and how George Romney was one of the uh, one of those that was viewed as the future of, of the Republican Party and was left on the outside looking in as more and more got behind the Barry Goldwater and Richard Nixon movement of, of that era. You know, I asked my friends that are in Louisiana, Utah, Alaska, Maine, and Nebraska, I ask that you do not forget this. I ask that you look for primary challengers for. Uh, these senators that voted to convict Trump. Again, it's it's much more than Trump guilty or not. This boils down to our liberties being attacked here. Trump is just the figurehead and all that. Once they get Trump out of the way, it's after us, they'll come. And that point needs to be hammered home that Cassidy, Romney, Murkowski, Collins, and Sass did not stand with the people during this time. 
that's where I would go with any primary challengers. I would hit that point over and over that they stood with the establishment. They stood with the swamp rat Democrats in this sham impeachment. Voters in these states where these senators are from need to be reminded over and over that they did not stand with the Constitution. Their elected senators did not stand with the Constitution and vote against this dog and pony show impeachment. They voted for the establishment ideals, trying to hang on to the past. Now, what I'm glad is, and kind of what we started out here with, is the Republican Party as a whole seems to be finding its way, finding its way to circle the wagons here. They're censuring these uh, senators that went against party line. Just like they did to Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney already has a primary challenger. The Republican Party as a whole seems to recognize that there's a movement going on here. And it's the way the party needs to go. And if you have these establishment types not willing to get on board, I'm glad to see their local parties are censuring them or have something in the works to do so to make it known that the, there's a move there's a movement going uh with the with the Republican Party and they better get on board or get out basically. Now switching gears a bit, I came across an American Greatness article titled Start by Boycotting the House by Angelo Codavia. I think this is an interesting concept. The way Angelo Codavia lays it out I'm not sure it would be feasible, but it's certainly entertaining to play a little bit of a what-if scenario with it. Cotevia states that since oligarchs who control America's public and private institutions need us to respect their mastery of us, we must separate from those institutions they have turned into partisan instruments in order to preserve our way of life. By doing this, Cotevia goes on, we deprive them of legitimacy as we patronize or create alternative ones, alternative institutions. I say yes, he's absolutely correct here. And as I and many others have uh, pressed this point on numerous occasions, we need to turn away from the likes of Amazon, Apple, Google, Twitter, Facebook, and any other business that hates conservatives, basically, and will be glad enough to take our money and turn it around and use it against us to, to oppress and, and censor us and do whatever else. Use the, good, use, use the Goods Unite Us app to find alternatives that don't shovel a bunch of money to Democrats or liberal causes. In, in, the, in the wake of the Gina Carano uh, basically getting kicked off the Mandalorian, cut off Disney Plus too. We need to inflict real material damage on these companies in order to get them to wake up and realize that we are not just pawns in their game, that we are the ones that built their companies, that patronize their companies. We're the ones that have the power to also, in essence, destroy their company. Now imagine this for a second. Imagine if you had 1 million people who didn't renew their Prime memberships. 
imagine if that number was 10 million. Now I looked it up. There's about 120 million people with prime membership. So we're talking, you know, like a 1%. And then we're talking about what if 10% canceled their prime memberships or didn't renew prime memberships. Now at a million people not renewing, Prime looks like it's about $119 a year. That's $119 million in lost revenue to Amazon if 1 million people did not renew their Prime membership. Now, what if 10 million people did not renew their Prime membership? Now you're talking real big dollars. As that becomes close to $1.2 billion in lost revenue, if 10 million people did not renew their $119 Prime membership. That, my friends, is a real material loss. Now, if you look at Prime, and this is how I've always viewed it when I was using Amazon, I absolutely refused to get Prime. It's a scam. It's a profit center for Amazon. What do you get with Prime? You get two-day shipping and what, like music or, or TV or something, right? I don't even know anymore. But it's a scam. Prime is only there to subsidize Amazon's shipping costs for all the free shipping they give. If you, if you order enough stuff on Prime over two days, it's over the course of uh, two day shipping over the course of a year, that $119, I mean, you you literally could make that up in a month with what two-day shipping can cost and depending how much you used it. So it, it's really, you know, honest truth is it's a, it's a profit center for them. It, it's really, if you think about it, it's right up there with the extended warranties that stores try to sell you when you go and buy that new flat screen TV or dealerships try to sell you with when you go uh, buy a new car or even even a used car they offer extended warranties on you know I don't I don't buy any of that it's it's a scam it's a profit center the you know I kind of play the percentages and the the probabilities on that that you know if anything's going to go wrong with you know that new TV or with that new car it's going to go wrong in the in the first year or so. Um, the the warranty offered with with those you know products is sufficient. There's no need to buy an extended one. Now, what you can do and what this starts to do, you, you talk about let's say, hey we get 10 million people to not renew Amazon Prime, you start messing with the company's profit center. Like I said, that's a, that's pretty much just straight profit for Amazon there. They're really not using that for, they're not putting it towards shipping or anything. It just, it goes into a, a general uh, revenue fund. You know, they, all they, you know, do it's, it, it, there's really no, uh, really no product or anything with that they shell out right away with the, the prime membership. You know, you start messing around with that. These companies will wake up in a hurry. Like I said, $1.2 billion just in Prime memberships will get somebody's attention over at Amazon should you get 10 million people that do not renew Prime. Now, Codavia goes on uh, to name other institutions like schools, which is happening in droves as people realize they uh, that their kids are basically being used at pa- as pawns in in certain instances with these big cities 
teachers unions and you know it's really they're being used as a pawn in the game between the teacher unions and the public you know call it the public at large a taxpayer really your elected officials deal with them but it's you know they're really uh, attacking you and wasting your money you're the ones paying their salaries and and you know salaries that the compulsory dues that go into these teachers unions uh, he goes on to say, you know, the media, another another institution, right? We we've seen, you know, that um, people are dropping the media and draws legacy media, going to more of the independent. Uh, you know, I, I saw something a little while back about CNN's ratings are dropping, um, you know, precipitously here, especially post election, especially as they continue to just hammer home on the same old tired rhetoric day after day. And the last one is where it gets intriguing. As Cotavia also says, government is something we should boycott as well. And like I said, this this is where it gets interesting in terms of is it feasible and you know, play a little what-if scenario here with it. Now, you know, full disclosure, I try to take or, or use little to no government programs as resources as possible. I, I you know, I don't want to deal with the, the strings that come attached with, uh, you know, taking anything from the government. Uh, honestly, if I could get an a la carte menu of government resources I'd like to pay for, I'd be all in. Let me just shell out my tax dollars for the things I actually use, like the roads, like well, this winter for sure, a lot of snow plowing and salting of the roads to to keep them clear. If, you know, public boat launches. I mean, I'm a, I'm a boater, so yeah, the public boat launches, stuff like that. Yeah, what's what's the cost for that? And you know, I'll let my taxes go for that. All this other crap where you're, you know, indoctrinating kids in schools, whatever. I, you know, I I hate paying for that. No, I you know full disclosure. I the one time I did have to utilize a government resources, it about killed me, you know. And even though I paid taxes into the system, and in theory should be able to draw on that in case of a need, I really didn't want to. Like I said, I don't. I didn't want to deal with the strings that come attached with taking government assistance. Um, but you know, I may have mentioned it before. We've got a special needs daughter and. Um, you know, it, it, secondary insurance from the state help pay for a therapy. And, you know, when it comes to your kids and their well-being, you you kind of sometimes bite the bullet on that and do it. Uh, you know, even though I even though it killed me, you know, we we did it. And it's, you know, like I say, you got to do it for the for the best, uh, the best thing for your kids sometimes. So um, uh, that's the one time. And uh, for a couple of years, there, it about killed me. So. Um, but really, you think about it in in essence, I feel like I am boycotting the government already to as much of a degree as I can. Like I said, I use the roads, so I, you know, I'm not, <laughs> there's really no way around not using all government resources, I guess, if you think about it, the, the roads kind of fall under that. But, you know, as much as I can, I, I try and take very little to nothing from the government. But Angelo Cotavia takes it a little further. He says we should start by boycotting the House of Representatives. Now, this is an interesting concept. 
I don't know if how feasible it is, but we'll explore it here. But it's an interesting concept nonetheless. Now, a little context here is Cotavia is advocating that Republicans hold plenary and committee sessions that parallel and contrast the Democrats' agenda. Cotavia notes that these committees also take up topics the Dems uh, shun, like social media company censorship and monopolistic practices. He argues that Republicans' presence in the Democrats' proceedings makes them co-responsible and gives the false impression that due process is being observed. Now, I like the idea of Republicans forming their own committees and creating their own agenda in direct opposition to the Democrats' agenda. It's an interesting thought. Uh, how that would work and, you know, could you do it and what comes out of it? I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to play that. And, you know, you hate to throw it out there, but it seems like anything's possible at this point. Um, so, I mean, it's an, an interesting thought to play with. I mean, what, what if, what, what if Republicans came out of, of a committee and said, yeah, we're just going to scrap two thirty. Where does that leave us, right? I mean, that that's uh, like I said, an interesting thought. And then, how do you battle that out? Now, what I don't necessarily uh, agree with or or view in in what Cotavia said is that Republicans are complicit in anything the Democrats put forth. Now, I think the only way they become complicit in it is they vote in support of it, i.e., uh, sham impeachments. Now, I do think that the presence of the Republicans does maintain some modicum of due process. I think they're in there. They're fighting um, for, you know, the, the, just to follow the process, I guess, is the best way to put it. That, you know, they're in there and ensuring that Democrats aren't just ramrodding everything through that, you know, their little hearts, uh, till their little hearts are content on, you know, ruining this country with, socialist crap. You know, I do think, too, that our speaking out and contacting our reps, no matter which party they are in, also helps maintain some semblance of due process. It, it at least lays out our expectations of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, you know, as an example, I, I uh, called, um, you know, my, my Democrat senator from the state last week and, and laid out three um, three items that I did, I was, uh, you know, probably on the other side of the, the fence from what her stance was, but I laid it out anyway. I got a response back on one of them, which I think is going to turn into a podcast here this week, actually. So tune in for that one. Um, it, it'll, it'll be, it'll be good. I, uh, I can promise you that one. Um, but I think you know, calling on contacting our reps, letting them letting them hear our voice, uh, helps maintain the due process, and at least gets them to think. Um, you know, I don't know. At the end of the day, it's so partisan; they vote party line most of the time anyway. But at least you're on record as contacting them and and making it known that where you stand on issues. Now, the practicality of boycotting the house in this manner intriguing as it is and some of the ideas are republicans forming their own committees 
uh, basically running a second house of representatives. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the practicality, uh, it, you know, of doing that, it just, it, it isn't very high. Um, I think we right now are definitely in a time of, of zero sum politics and no matter party affiliation, these politicians represent everyone in their district. I think a boycott in this manner is not serving the best interests of the people, Republican or Democrat. And you split it up like that. Uh, you think about it, you don't have the uh, Republicans in these committees fighting for, you know, who actually put them in office. And, you know, truthfully, you don't have the, the you know, Democrats really don't have a representative voice in that uh, respect either you know, and that may live in that district. So it's not serving the best interests of, of the people. The secondary here is the question of what laws actually get enacted then? How do you do that? And as I mentioned before, it's, it's an intriguing thought. Hey, Republicans come out of their own little committee and say, we're going to boycott uh, or we're going to uh, just scrap Section 230. We're, you know, the, the tech companies are monopolies. We're going to break them up. Well, they, they came out of their committee with that law. Does it get enacted? I mean, there, there's a due process there of it going to the, the House floor for a vote. So, uh, you know, I don't know that you can answer that question. I, I think it, you got two competing sets of laws and uh, there's really no way, I, you know, to get to really get them enacted, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I think this boycott itself, kind of this idea. Um, results in the breakdown of that due process and it throws the constitution out the window it, you know you we, we kind of think we've got the constitution being trampled on and whatnot now but at least we have you know the due process of if we feel that way we can take it to the supreme court um you know if we did this kind of boycott and, and two competing uh uh governments let's call it to competing House of Representatives, it's it, we would have absolute chaos. You think we have chaos now? It would be, you know, multiples worse, exponentially worse. You know, would would there even be a rule of law at that point? Since Democrats have the House, you know, the Republicans could go off and do their own thing, but then the Democrat or the Democrats would just ram everything through that they wanted, that they could, without GOP inf- interference, without our conservative representatives there voicing opinions and uh, using, you know, different parliamentary procedures to slow legislation down and slow things up in committee. You know, and I would expect in this instance, too, that anything that would get challenged, Democrats ram something through and uh, it gets challenged and the Republicans weren't there. I, you know, whether they're there or not, I, I would expect that the Supreme Court would recognize whatever came out of of the official House of Representatives as law of the land, because it would be passed by the House with a quorum. And a quorum is just a simple majority in the House. And right now that's the Democrats. They have the majority of the House. They would just have to get all their members there to vote. And that would be it. And the Supreme Court, I think, would uphold anything that came out of that. So intriguing as this thought is to kind of have our Republican representatives boycott the House of Representatives. Uh, I don't think it's feasible from a uh, from an elected official standpoint. Honestly, it's up to us to boycott the House. We must be the ones that are taking the action. 
let our voices be heard with our reps, no matter party affiliation. And then with that, we let our voices be heard with our state-level reps as well. They will be the ones that will have the most effect in rebuffing the federal overreach that we are no doubt going to see more of in the future. Now, we do have an example of states boycotting the federal government, if you will, or working towards that end anyway. It's no, no official laws have been passed yet, to my knowledge. Now, North and South Dakota have both introduced legislation at a state level to combat executive orders that don't comport with the Constitution. The proposed North Dakota law says legislative management may review any executive order issued by the President of the United States, which has not been affirmed by a vote of the Congress and signed into law as prescribed by the Constitution of the United States. The executive order would then be sent to the state attorney general and governor for uh, further review. The attorney general will then determine the constitutionality of the executive order and determine whether to seek exemption from the application of said executive order. So in essence here, the state attorney general of North Dakota will determine whether to, ch whether to challenge the executive order on constitutional grounds or not. Now, I think this is uh, definitely a, a great way to go because, in my view, executive orders by nature are not constitutional. They're not law. The, our representatives in the House of Representatives and the Senate do not vote on them. It's just the president throwing out there, uh, with Biden throwing out there, and you know, truthfully, Trump, Obama, Bush, um, you know, it, it seems executive orders have grown with each successive presidency here. Um, you know, and they're not law, period. It's not constitutional. Um, so they, they should be thrown out. And, uh, you know, I applaud, I applaud North Dakota here for going after that. Now, additionally, uh, this one is really good, I think. Additionally, the North Dakota legislature introduced another bill that would nullify any federal law within the state that would breach constitutional authority. Good for North Dakota and South Dakota, who has also uh, proposed similar legislation in their houses. Uh, good on them for standing up and putting these types of bills forth. These bills would likely be challenged on constitutional grounds, citing the supremacy clause of the Constitution, which says federal uh, law is the law of the land. Okay, um, to me at this point is a little bit of would be a little bit of a weak argument, or would open up a whole can of worms. I mean, I would say this would be interesting should these laws get passed and someone actually challenge them on constitutional grounds, utilizing the supremacy clause. One, the executive orders aren't law to begin with, so not sure how you could use the supremacy clause in that respect. Um, that would be, I would say, again, that'd be interesting. I mean, we did see an unconstitutional impeachment here, so I guess anything's possible. But to me, it'd be very hard to use the supremacy clause of the Constitution to challenge laws that nullify executive orders. Um, now, nullifying a federal law, that would be something 
uh, totally different because uh, that is implying that it went through the proper legislative process. Again, um, you know, it's, I think you could use, um, you know, 10th amendment here in, in states rights to, to claim uh, the ability to nullify federal law that breaches constitutional authority. It, it'd be interesting to say the least, but it, it also, like I said, it, it opened up a whole other can of worms. You'd see a whole other litany of issues come forth from sanctuary state laws to the marijuana laws that have been passed, all of which would be subject to scrutiny under the Supremacy Clause, as illegal immigration is still a federal offense, no matter what executive order was signed saying otherwise, there has not been a a law passed yet for uh, just the unmitigated migration and an amnesty being granted to anybody pouring, pouring over our borders. Um, now, I think the Democrats are trying to change that. But as of right now, it's it's um, it's still legal to cross our borders uh, without going through the proper legal channels. And, you know, as far as I know, marijuana is still classified as an illegal drug. So all those states that have laws on the books that you know, the feds have essentially ignored uh if you start using the supremacy clause as as far as trying to use that to challenge anything that North Dakota and South Dakota uh are doing, it opens up the books on those uh those laws as well that are at the state level. Now it'll be interesting to see if if these laws are enacted in North Dakota and South Dakota and what the response will be to them from the federal level. Now let's end with how cancel culture kills creativity. Honestly, honestly, I think creativity was killed long before cancel culture. And listen to any sort of pop music, pop country, hip hop, whatever, anything from the last 20 to 25 years, let's call it. And I'd say it's probably skews more toward anything that's more on the pop side of things. But just just think about that from the last 20 to 25 years for, for a second. You know, take out the lyrics. I've always said this. I say, you know, I bet you if you take out the lyrics and you just listen to the music, there's very little difference. There, there's no signature, uh, signature sound, let's call it. I mean, you, you, you go back, you could tell the Beatles from the Rolling Stones. You could tell, you know, fast forward to come more my generation, the 90s, you could tell Pearl Jam from Nirvana, from you know some of the other grunge bands and some of the other you know hard hard rock heavy metal bands. I mean, they all have a signature sound. You can tell Metallica from Megadeth from um, you know whoever. So, but you fast forward now to called late '90s into early 2000s. There's very little difference in any of this. There's there's no signature sound. There's no creativity there. And let's take a look at movies. There's very little that's new. There's very little new movie ideas now. It's all franchises, or as I call them, a.k.a. sequels. What's the last original blockbuster that's come out? I I couldn't even tell you. Uh, You throw in cancel culture now into the mix, and we are now at peak groupthink. Michael Brown, in his town hall piece, How Cancel Culture Stifles Creativity, notes several other areas in our ultra PC world 
that has been a killjoy. He notes the Super Bowl commercials this year were especially lacking in creativity. He notes that the Washington Redskins were just known this year as the Washington football team. It really doesn't get any more unoriginal than that. Now we're going from the Redskins to the Washington football team because well, we can't think of an, any other sort of nickname. And even though we're getting rid of getting rid of Redskins, even though you know a Native American created the logo, and you know there's a majority out there that actually don't care and and you know found it somewhat honoring to to their culture, right? But now yeah, let's get rid of it because you know we don't like it. We're woke. And I think perhaps the most insightful observation uh, comes from John Cleese, him of Monty Python fame, who noted that cancel culture misunderstands the main purpose of life, which is to have fun. This is why cancel culture won't last. It can't. It'll run out of things to cancel. And people will grow tired and already have, quite honestly. They'll grow tired of it and go find things that are fun. They'll start telling those, those, you know, jokes that make you laugh that would make a woke person squirm and probably admonish you. They'll go back and watch those movies from way back when that you can't watch or mention today just because they're fun and bring joy to people's lives. People won't sit around and be lectured by the cancel culturalists. They'll go create their own entertainment options. Now, cancel culture may still come for those new creations, those new entertainment options, but they'll be ignored at that point. People will not put up with it. They've realized how much joy and fun, uh, you know, having some un-PC sort of fun can be. They'll have their joy back. They won't tolerate cancel culture coming for them anymore. Now, we are a resourceful people. We'll, we'll turn it around. We'll turn to something else and find out uh, what else brings us joy. And now the major sports leagues in Hollywood have found that out the hard way. We've turned away from them, and, and a lot of bottom lines are hurting uh, right now because you know, they brought in the, the cancel culture and the PC wokeness, and people tuned it out. They just didn't want to hear it. Now, Cleese adds, that there's plenty of people who are PC who have absolutely zero sense of humor. He also says he would love to debate, in a friendly way, of course, a couple of woke people in front of an audience. And he says the first thing he would say is, tell me a good woke joke. I say that right there would be an original bit of entertainment worth the price of admission. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. I'd be grateful if you left a positive review, should your listening platform allow for reviews. Also, please subscribe to and share my show. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending some of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. I would be grateful if you subscribed to my podcast and signed up for notifications. It'll help us stay connected. Follow me on my social media home on Parlor, 
My handle there is at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. I can be found by searching Living with Liberty. And I have a Telegram channel. My handle there is at Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.